When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. May God bless his reading. You may be seated. Thank you, Ty. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to be seen by you. I'm not, we don't have lights on our cameras, so I don't even know where to look. As if that's a really a good thing to do anyway, I suppose, but... We are glad, I'm glad that you're with us. We're here to learn and lean in to know what it is to love God, know what it is to love all people, and to follow Jesus together. There are people, bots, algorithms, and probably things I don't even understand or could even tell you about that are paid to program and paid or program to be influencers. Well, some of you may not spend an iota of time on the internet. Bless you. You've done the wisest thing anybody can. Oh, okay. All right. Others of us know exactly what I am talking about. Right? And if you've never, or your, the online experience is just not your place, that's okay, because you understand it, because I'm sure that most of you, if you don't even have a TV now, have watched TV. Have you ever watched a commercial? Whether it be at the Super Bowl time or others, and you went, you know, I wasn't hungry. But the kitchen is very enticing right now. In fact, I didn't know I wanted a Coke. I want a Coke. Right? You're thirsty, you're hungry. I mean, we all have been there. But, but take this, that's a platform maybe more for TV, but take this to another level of repeated pestering, is what I call it, that's a hundred times or maybe a thousand times more depending on what platform you use. I, and I made up that figure, by the way. There's no... Uh, study behind that. I'm sure there are studies about that. You started your search looking for one thing. Uh, let's say it's just simply this. You, you broke a strap to something that carries something, and you went on and went, hmm, I'm sure I can find one here. And by the time you're done, you're, you're almost ready to buy an air fryer. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. Whether it's an algorithm or a person, uh, an influencer, I think the term is probably the influencers more used. Uh, some of you who are younger are going to tell me this because, uh, to be really honest, I, don't, I care, but I don't care so much. It's, I think it's Instagram, but anyway. But their, their job is to change where you're thinking and where you're going. Their, their attempt, all of, these, all of this in life and the online environment just gives us a, in a, just a nutshell is an attempt to move you from where you believed and what you thought you were getting to where you, well, maybe I do need that car with all the bells and whistles. I mean, it's there to do this. And the incredible thing with them is that, and, and I think this is true, I'm willing to have a conversation, seriously, I'm willing to have a conversation. I think this is true. Most of the time they don't say, buy me. You know how they influence you? They go, hmm, are you sure that's what you want? 
Sounds vaguely familiar to me to somebody in the garden with Adam and Eve. They don't say, follow me. We're going to get to that. They say, hmm, are you sure? Sure that's not all? It's why we're, if we're a parent, and as I'm learning, no matter the age or stage of your kids, you become just increasingly interested in who your children spend time with or what they watch or where they're influenced by. Well, for Kathy and I, uh, for the most part in our kids' growing up years, it was just who they spent time with physically. You know, their influence at school or who they spent time with. But it becomes just increasingly more difficult in the digital age when the influences are grand and the access is right here. Right? And the consequences, this is the issue, the consequences seem to be, oh, it's not a big deal. But they are a big deal because our ability to discern the lifelong directional consequences are limited. Even as adults, they're limited. The arrogance and the pride we exude about some of the things we think we know and don't know should cause us to pause and consider what is going on here. But back to the parents and the kids, right? This is the reason we're concerned. We know this about ourselves. We imitate those people we spend the most time with. We imitate those people we spend the most time with. If you're a parent, it's, been, it's easy to watch your kids' friends and watch them play and interact and then, and then stand back and go, oh, and you have this conversation husband to wife, not in judgment, just of kind of like counsel, okay, I know, judgment's a big thing in church and shouldn't do it and all that kind of jazz, but you kind of go, hey, we need to limit, we need to put a governor on that relationship right there. We need to limit their ability to spend time because the direction is not healthy. You love the child, but you realize the direction could bankrupt them. Peer pressure and influence is not some fad. It is a real, real thing that if you were to take and read C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, which are just a grand parade of all of this, by the way, you would realize how serious, serious it is of who we hang with, who we follow intentionally or unintentionally. Speaking of imitating others, we need to be careful how, how we view the fault line of others, okay? This is the judge point. And I, I want to get into this. I just want to bring this up because we, we do, can view the fault lines of other families and other people quickly. But we do not view the fault lines or the blind spots in our own lives as quick. In fact, when they show up, it's usually when our kids are grown up in a grand way, we go, oh my. And your heart aches, and you go, oh, I know where they got that. I know where they believe that. And it's not all about the culture, and it's not all about the church. It generally was with the people that they hang with the most. And I'm not here to take the fault off other places, because they're influencing, but the people we hang with, mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, guardians, whoever they may be, have the greatest influence on children, and it's still to this day, even over the internet. And this is why it becomes so, so important that we, we become part of a community of people who we trust heading in the same direction towards Jesus and his kingdom with mentors and truth-tellers that we look on with great appreciation and respect, that we're willing to listen to them and heed their cautions and maybe even heed their directions. I think if we do not entrust ourselves to a community of people, if we're followers of Jesus, we'll clarify some of this later in a few moments. We will, we will reap heartache
we can see it oftentimes in our kids, but we need to be a part of a community. It's reading the word, desires to love Jesus. I mean, these are simplistic terminologies, really, to tell you the truth. And follow him hard in order to head ourselves in a direction that brings life. Not just, not just simply to keep us out of hell, but to give us and bring us life that is life abundant in these moments. I want to say this again because I think this is vastly important because Jesus does something that I think no one else does, and we'll get to it. But these influences in our lives do not say to us directly, and again, I'm willing for a conversation, but I mold on this. Do not say to us directly, follow me. They just present another way that attracts our disordered desires within us and moves us into a path that is vastly different than the Lord's best for us. Hmm. Jesus, we sang it earlier, I love it. Jesus stated, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He goes on to say, no one will go to f- come to the Father except through me, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. John's stating in this passage of Scripture, we're not even into our Scripture yet, John is stating what is vastly true about Jesus and what he wishes to bring into this world and he wishes to bring to us and through us is that he was full of what? Truth and grace. I think this is a daily wrestling, friends, that we go through. Are we going to trust, we're going to get to it, are we going to trust Jesus and what he said about wealth, about relationships, about life, about faith, about health, death, whatever? Or are we going to intertwine our, our desires with his? All right, now to the text. <laughs> what an intro, huh? Welcome. Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God and he brings, the hev- brings heaven to earth as he brings healing, not just of the body, but also healing and restoration of creation as we read last week. If you weren't with us, go back and reread the section. You don't even have to listen to the message. You'll understand what I'm saying. He is bringing the kingdom to bear. He walks out of the, ki- out of the sermon out of the mount and he, he comes down the mountain and he begins to do the very things he said that we are to do and that he is doing. He brings it. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. It was that movie ahead of its time. I don't... Yeah. It starts out in black and white, but then, then as they move through, as, as life touches, things become colored. He begins to bring color to a black and white world in which they were living in. And they are blown away. He loved his enemies. He healed the marginalized. He went and, what? A woman. And I don't mean to make light of it, but I mean, seriously, in that context, this was crazy. And he begins to bring the creation that they saw in this stark black and white for the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the And the Gentiles that he's demonstrating, he brings it to life. It's incredible. And so you you have to understand, if this is what's happening in front of you, what what are you going to do? You're going to follow. You're going to be part of the crowd. And that's exactly what happens. It says in verse 18 of chapter 8, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. I mean, the crowds, I'd, you're just going to be a part of it. Is it really? Uh, who's next? Who wouldn't want to be a part of the crowd following Jesus, especially if, if he not only comes to, comes to preach with authority, but he brings transformation of their very bodies and status and culture. Changes everything. He's bringing heaven to earth. The kingdom is coming. Yet this is the beauty of Jesus. Unlike some of us who drive towards wanting to be in front of people and be in the know and let our tweets be heralded by all, Jesus said, hey, 
grab me a boat. <laughs> grab me a boat because I need to go to the other side. We assume in this passage that he's giving uh, directions to the disciples he has called to him. Those students, those people who want to be like him, who want to follow after him. And he must be tired. He's needing some rest. And this is the point uh, that I want to make to y'all. Everyone needs space from the pace of the crowd. There's... I don't think this was a temptation for Jesus, and we know this to be true because he passed through, uh, you know, his temptation in the deserts with flying colors, using scripture. But we need, we need space from the pace of the crowd. Where do you get your accolades? Where do you get your, woo, you're good? <laughs> Separate yourself from it. Distance yourself from those places where everybody tells you you're the, you're the best thing since sliced cheese. I think this is part of the message here. It's not the whole message. Jesus was tired. It reminds us again that Jesus was not only, he was tired because he was not only fully God, but he was fully man, of which we affirm in the Apostles' Creed, and which Scripture screams at us that there's this duality of his divinity and humanity going on and he's tired but I think for us friends not only do we need separation from the crowd the space from the crowd because we're tired I think sometimes we're tired because we've been trying to keep up with the pace of the crowd see it wow Lord redeem us biblical rest Stepping away is a practice of reorienting ourselves to Jesus, to God. And we need that just as much as he needed, in fact, more so. He, he, he's about to step in the boat and to, and to create some distance between himself and the crowds. And a statement emerges from the crowd then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Who wouldn't want that? I mean, Jesus, you're, you're the Messiah. We know this. They were still wrestling with it. He's the Messiah. What, who wouldn't want this? And he says, can you imagine being there and just hearing Jesus go, Well, that's good. Foxes have dens and, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Drops the mic. <laughs> I mean, can you believe it? I can't, the, the whispers behind him of the disciples, like, they're, they're wanting to, like, all right, what do we do now? What's going on? And they're wanting to imitate him. And, and I can just hear the whispers. They're like, what, what, what's he doing? We need a crowd to overthrow the Romans. What's going on? Why? I can just hear Peter. Jesus, why'd you have to put a wet blanket on, on what was going so well? And the most introverted and isolated among us want to be a part of a tribe that is gaining more and more people. And I'm sure that even in, his, in the, the 12, there are those that are like that. We want to, we want to be connected to to something that is growing and successful and thriving, right? Because that's the American, oh, okay. I almost said it. Yeah, the American way, right? I mean, isn't that bigger is better? There are not too many places you'll go where people will explain to you uh, the, the cost of what you're purchasing or getting into, right? How many places will you go will kind of go, hey, you know, if you buy that car, it's going to cost you $10,000 in five years. I don't know. How about kids? Anybody got a manual that's, that told you how much your kids were going to cost you? <laughs> and you think I'm talking about money. <laughs> Time, energy, emotion, love. Wait, 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 before you think I'm thinking it's a bad thing, it's not. It's good. It's just the cost, right? How about home ownership? Oh, okay, we'll stop. 
You get my point. Jesus is truthful. Go any place. Go to any other religion. Go any place, and they will not tell you the truth. They want to hook you in. They want to get you to be a part. And to be able to lie that I'm not like that? Oh, boy, am I. Oh, come on, just, just, you know. But Jesus, eh, you won't have a place to sleep. You, you won't have a place to sleep. Because following Jesus will cost you your comfort. Doesn't that look inviting? All right. Don't do it, but it does look inviting. <laughs> it will cost you. I don't know what it will cost you. It may be literally you will not have a place to lay your head. I don't know what your, your dream is, and that's the key. I don't know what it is. But my guess is that if it's your dream, it will cost you something. And not because Jesus is mean. He knows you. And it doesn't mean that your dream will be taken away necessarily, but it will cost you something. And Jesus, he's honest. <laughs> I promise you, you will not find anybody else as pure, as holy, and honest as Jesus. And to be honest, I think that scares most of us to the core. Not because of what he's going to take away because most of us could tell you he's given us far more than what we could have ever created or imagined, as Scripture says. But it will cost you something. And friends, I, don't, I want you to know that. And Jesus does too. Jesus is still not allowed to get into the boat. Yet one more disciple, quote-unquote, seems to be, uh, who wants to be in the following, makes another statement. And another disciple said to him, Lord, let me go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Are you kidding me? Jesus, how rude can you be? And I don't mean that disrespectfully. But from our culture, that looks, wow, that's, that's cutting. But, you know, because it seems reasonable, the guy's father's dead, or at least that's what we read. Seems to be a rude statement, response. While this may seem insensitive on the surface, it's getting at a point, and maybe even a, a closer truth to the context of what's transpiring here. Some scholars wrestle about this, but most wrestle to this point, as I've done my reading, that culture, uh, report, uh, regarding the culture and father being whether he was really dead or was in, he's this old. Most say that he was probably old. And what this gentleman was asking, hey, can I put my discipleship, can I put my followership on hold until my dad dies, and then I come and follow you. And in fact, that's where most of them fall, and I tend to agree with them. Because whether that's true of this, it's true of us. We're like, wait, wait Jesus, I'll, I'll give you my life after my career's over and I've amassed all my money. Lord, I'll give you, I'll let you have my family, but, you know... Every, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrestle with that one. Uh, Father, I, you, know, I'm, I, you know, I don't know what it is. You fill in the blank. I know what it is for me. And I have to, uh, I have to put it back on the altar on a regular basis. And if you're wondering, yes, Kathy knows what it is too. And I have to put it back on the altar on a regular basis. Seriously, you need a community in which knows this stuff. And who can go, hey, dude... Knock it off. Give it back. It's not yours. 
It's his. He'll do with it better than what you can think. And this is what's happening here. But I think this is a very real truth, though. Well, this is true. The family was very, very important. So this was a really kind of in-your-face kind of a statement that Jesus is making. Yet, they, we believe, and I believe that he got it. But this is true. Following Jesus will challenge family relationships. And by the affirmations on a few of your faces, I don't have to go much further, but there are a few things that when you say, hey, I'm following Jesus, they go, oh, and they take two steps back. <laughs> really? Uh, there are some traditions and customs that maybe you'll part with because family does this and you realize Jesus is calling you that. It maybe is just as simple as this, like some of our friends that we know of, we support them. They... They don't get to spend time with their family because they're doing, they're doing, they're doing Jesus work on location in, in locations where family can't be. I don't know what it is, but I think that family relationships, can I just tell you this? I think family relationships can cause greater pause, in, one of the greatest pauses in our following Jesus than anything else in our lives, too. And you may be like, wow, is he, is he really against family? No. He's against, he desires transformation and he desires you to be undivided in your devotion. That's what he desires. Uh, let, me, let me, Jesus' invitation to follow me and be his, to, to follow me and to be his preeminent to any other relationship in our lives. That's his desire. The Ten Commandments starts out with this in Exodus 20 with these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you up, brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What's he say? You shall have no other gods before me. These are the same today as they were then. No other thing before me. And he's trying to make a point to us. Jesus redeems us from the narrative we're trying to create for ourselves, which is, which is destruction which is less than the life to the full. They were slaves in Egypt. They were bound in sin. We were slaves in our sin story, friends. And if you haven't forgotten, you need to revisit the story, not to revisit the pain, but to remind yourself of your salvation. He rescued and redeemed me and gave me life. And I was lifeless. I was sucking air. I don't need to go into the story in this moment. But Jesus breathed his last on the cross for all of us to breathe in, to breathe life out into us. He desires every part of our being, every part of us. Family, as wonderful as they are, are and can and are as a gift, can be very can can really be the people who demand and command and bind us to narratives of our past. They don't free us. How many times have you gone to a, a, a family family reunion or a family story time, and you hear narratives of your past, not the glorious ones, not the ones where you're redeemed, but the past, and what do they do to your heart? What do they do to your soul? They entrap us to a narrative that Jesus is attempting to free us from, potentially. Sometimes that's not the case. But oftentimes it is, because they know us the best. If you find yourself there, you're not alone. Jesus found himself there. In Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, it says, Then Jesus entered a house. He is preaching and teaching, and again a crowd gathered that he, so that he and his disciples are not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, now think about this. Mary knew who he was, cherished it in her heart. They went to take charge of him. They said, he is out of his mind. You know, when you start to bring, the, bring heaven to earth, people are like, whoa, what are you doing? You're, you're disturbing the, the ebb and flow of things. You're, you're changing the very atmosphere and the very world around you. Yet, even in Jesus' case, 
family came in and disrupted or attempted to disrupt his mission in living for his Father in heaven. Jesus' own words in Luke 12, which sometimes we don't like to even go to or skirt over for obvious reasons, he says this, from now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What is he saying? He's saying because of my entry into the world, because you decided to follow me, there will be division. Does he desire it? No. He is saying in a prophetic, prophetic voice, it can and it will happen to some of you. Do not be surprised. When people follow Jesus, there may be some unrest in the home nest. As we have already read in Matthew through chapter 8 alone, even if you did not know any more of the scripture, you're new to us today, you're new to the whole thing, just read back a few sentences and you'll get a grip, uh, you'll start to grasp what Jesus is doing about changing his world. And you can understand that living the way Jesus has called us to live is challenging to everyone around us. And even the Jewish family he was a part of. Even though Jesus, Jesus was like other teachers and rabbis around him, he had a higher expectation of them. He raised the bar. So following Jesus demands undivided devotion. Undivided devotion. Are we going to get it right 100% of the time? Absolutely not. But his desire is for us to seek that. What does it mean to be uh, devoted? It means that we're loyal, committed, and to no other. I heard somebody say in our men's group the other day, they said, God first, wife second. Do you hear me? I think they're right. It's God first, wife second in this situation, this men's group. The order is important to Jesus. Undivided, Jesus is first and last. He is the Alpha and Omega. If you choose to follow Jesus, you choose the whole of Jesus and the holiness of Jesus. If something is divided, friends, it's in part, you're, you're taking pieces and you're trying to weld them together. It's one of the reasons why Jesus, well, the Old Testament has uh, fabric only made of one kind of fabric it is to get across the idea that you're to be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and holy, H-O-L-Y, to the Lord and to no other. That is the drive behind it. Matthew is concerned to make clear what Jesus looks for in a disciple. He, he, nor does the passage, talk about what these two who made the statements did or what they did not do. Because, and we know that the point of what, Jesus, what Matthew's trying to get across is that Jesus is saying, look, your desire to follow him should be undivided. Undivided. So Jesus had called for the boat prior, remember this? Before we got into this. Then he got into the boat and the disciples followed him and suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Now we have to remind ourselves or uh, inform ourselves that the sea throughout scripture and in the ancient Near East was this, uh, this place of uh, continual chaos and tumult, uh, just the unknowns of heading out in the sea was there. So fear was a constant thing for those who would hop in a boat. Uh, there, I'm sure there were different cultures who thought they had command over it, but for the most part, in that, in that time, in that day, like it is for some, if I were to take some of you into a boat, into an open water, it would terrify you, right? It's the same kind of thing. It would move you. So when they used their boats, they, they used them to get on the, on the lake, to earn money and get off the bike, or to get across. That's, that's it. So they get into the boat, as, as uh, does Jesus, and he, he does something that most of us probably wouldn't do unless we're super, super com- comfortable with being in a boat. 
He goes to take a nap. He's taking a sleep. I was a youth, when I was a youth pastor, I was taking some teens on a missions trip to Mexico. JJ, uh, a, a freshman or sophomore at the time, a, a big guy, linebacker at that young, I mean, he probably could have played college linebacker at that age. He did not like to fly, and we were flying to our destination to take a bus, bus into Mexico. I remember his friends around him really tried to distract him, but he grabbed a hold of those uh, armrests, and I thought they were going to come off. I, I mean... You know, I'm a college student, but he's like, you know, his knuckles were as white as white could be. That's the fear that's being set into this situation. Jesus gets in the boat. He's needing some space, and he gets it, and he takes a nap. The disciples, not sure of what's going to come, as like we are in life, are somewhat on alert. And when the storm rose... Their greatest fear came from within, out. Their fear was of death. Jesus is sleeping. Let me ask you, what events in your life move the needle in your life from uh, maybe a place of living or thriving to living with dread? You can write it down. You can tell me later. That's fine. But all of us have something or some things in our life that move us potentially from that place of like, hey, everything's good, to whoa, and chaos starts to take place not only around us, but within us. Hmm. So maybe another way to ask that question, what within you is having, uh, was having you living less in the fruit of the Spirit? Love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and into the worry, fear, anxiety, you rush into it, whatever it may be. We need to understand something from this passage of Scripture, and I something that I believe that Jesus is attempting to tell his disciples that are following him in this, that life will test our trust in Jesus. It will constantly be a test. It's not... You can look at it adversarially. I don't mean it that way. It just will be a continual test of us and where we put our trust. We sang in ways that Jesus was our Messiah, Savior, Lord, and we proclaim those things with word, songs, and prayer statements. But if we're not careful, we can be like King Saul who is going into battle waiting for Samuel to come do the offering and he gets a little jittery because his boys are getting a little jittery and I say men there are men around him who are fighting and what does he do he takes the situation into his hands and he offers his offers the offering to the Lord and because he offers the offering I'm not offering to the Lord uh, Samuel delivers a harsh word to him Uh, not only will you not be king but God has removed his spirit from you Friends, we must take seriously what the Lord is attempting to try to show us in this passage of Scripture. To follow him is to undivided loyalty, undivided hearts. Jesus says this, he replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. It was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Again, they are grappling with this person who has called them. Jesus, this one who has called them, even the winds and the waves obey him. And that was huge in that day. It was huge that the winds and the waves could be commanded to be still. Jesus wants you to trust in him in everything, for everything. Yet as James reminds us, our disordered desires lead us to apprehend what we think we want in the moment, dismissing what God's beauty has for us in the long-term run. See, tests are to grow, uh, are to, te- tests are to grow our trust in God. It should be our trust, trust and faith in God. Tests are a part of life. 
They, they are part of life. The trials of life are to remind us and bring us to the point of surrender and remembering to the one and only who has called us out of the chaos. He has one grand design for us. Jesus demonstrated his teaching, his authority over the lost, the lonely, and the broken. He wants them, the followers, to be influenced by and imitate him to break through the strongholds that oppose the kingdom within them. We tend to want to put the fight out here, outside of us, whether it's an injustice or whatever else, but the strongholds that Jesus is trying to penetrate through are the strongholds of your heart and your life and he's trying to break them and the only way that they can be broken and there are a lot of other methods but simply is trusting him only and solely through them Jesus' half-brother writes this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking, not lacking anything. Oh, my goodness. If any of you, he knows this, if any of you lacks wisdom, and we do, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, there are some great methods and practices we can put into place to help you get past those double-minded moments, because we all have them. But the test of life are to create in us, create us in this place of maturity and completeness that we lack nothing. If you question whether Jesus desires your greatest good, I, I pray that you would reconsider that because he does desire. The very place that we get mushy is in the interior of us. It's not exterior of us. Once this becomes solid, our heart, soul, and mind, he's able to do the very things that he desires. He spoke and he did through us. So let me ask this question, will you? Will you? Will you follow? Jesus raised the bar. Matthew writes it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus raises the bar for us. He wants you and me to follow him. We must continually confront what will influence our hearts, our heads, and our own souls. Yet, I think what this reveals, there's a couple of things it reveals, but one of the things that it reveals to me is that those wanting and willing to follow him are going to continually be tempted to create our own path of what that looks like. So, what do we do? What do we do in the midst of being tempted to create our own path? Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? If you've been around church world a long time, you've heard that. Or even a short time, you've probably heard that. But if that's new to you, that's true. To you and for you. What can anyone give in exchange for their souls? I find it rather interesting that when Jesus walks up to, uh, with, well, off to Peter, he walks up to Peter in that in that in that uh, scene by the, by the sea and he's fishing and he says, follow me. And if you look this up, Jesus just says, follow me, come follow me. And what is, what is Peter and James and John, what do they do? What do they do? They let go of what is in their hands and Jesus then works on what's in their heads and in their heart. 
They had to let go of their nets to follow him. They had to get, let go of whatever it was in that moment to, let, to follow him. And I think that that's where Jesus continually brings us. When we read passages like this, he continually brings us to the place and says, what's in your hands? And I know, I don't know if this comes to your mind, but what's in your hands, Moses? A little different idea. But what is in your hands? What's holding you back from following him? Matthew chapter 6. Let me turn there quickly. Because when you follow him, you, you want a promise, don't you? You want some, some type of assurance that besides him being Jesus and Messiah and you have that in your head, but you want some kind of assurance from him. And I think he knew this. This is why he uh, preaches through the kingdom of God. All right, I'll get it there. He says this, because this is what consumes us, and he knows this, things like this. Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's, how the, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith? So, so don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Ah. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is going to take care of you, yet he wants you to trust him with an un undivided loyalty, heart. As a follower of Jesus, God is your sole true influencer. He calls you to imitate him, to walk after him, to trust him in everything. When we grasp for our own path, it doesn't end in life. Jesus says, will you? Will you follow? Father God, I thank you. Father, you know how I again was challenged by this passage of scripture. Father, it's hard not to it's hard not to look around and play, you know, to desire my own path or even my own path for ipsy free. Yet Father, you've said follow me. And if it's not, Lord. I assume that it's, it's the same for each one of us. We have these desires for our families, for our careers, for how even following Jesus should look like. Yet, Father, as Jesus clearly stated, he wants us to trust him undivided. undivided devotion. So Father, even as I reflect through the week, there are places and spaces where I was divided. You know those places. I've brought them to you. Lord, but I, but I wonder, Lord, if, 
if there are some of my friends who found themselves in divided places and spaces this week. They want to love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and love their neighbor as they love themselves, but they realize that there's, there's a little compromise going on. It's got to be a five-star hotel. To be, I have to have this job by this age and stage. Father, we, we need your help. Holy Spirit, come and shake us. For we want to build our house on the rock. We want you to be our only and sole influencer whom we imitate for the redemption and restoration of our own souls, but for the redemption and restoration of the creation in which we live to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Lord, lead us. Friends, maybe today is that day where you realize, you know, uh, it's a tough, tough message. Seems to be a lot of cost with following Jesus, but seems to be the right thing to do. If that's you and you wish to surrender, to drop your nets, pursuing your direction, your destination, for his destiny, his design, and his desire for you. You can pray this prayer from your heart, through your lips, to his ears. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me from my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you tell us the truth, but you pour on the grace. Let us live in this space right now.